So, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Well done to fathers out there. And, uh, and a word, uh, maybe a moment of appreciation for, uh, for the role that fathers have had in getting us to this place. Uh, if you had a great father, then well done. Uh, if you had a not great father, then our prayers are with you. Uh, and I mean that. Uh, not every person, uh, not every person comes from uh, from the same place. But there is something to be said. There is something to be said for the desires of fathers towards their children. A- a- as a father of two, and and so many of the people in the room can uh, can can resonate with this. As a, as a parent of children, there's no greater desire than to watch them grow up. I know what you're thinking, and move out of the house, right? <laughs> Amen? You want to clap for that? You know, um, yeah. There's no greater desire than to watch your children grow up. This, this, this is a little bit of the message today that we find ourselves in as we continue to read through God's scriptures. It's Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. But I'd, but I'd like to, maybe, maybe like a father telling the story of their children, I'd like to go back a little bit for just a moment. Let me, let me, let me allow two minutes to, uh, to tell the story of how this letter came into being. Paul, Paul, born to a father and mother, grew up in Tarsus. He was Jewish and devout. He became a devout a passionate persecutor of those who he believed were outside of Judaism. They happened to be practicing this splinter sort of religion. It was a sect within Judaism uh, in its early years. We would later on know it to be as Christianity, but it wasn't called Christianity for decades. But it was this group of people who followed this one Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul, whose original name was Saul, despised them. In his efforts to eradicate the world of these followers of Jesus the Nazarene, he he would travel from place to place. He was actually given a license to kill. He was the first James Bond. His his number was 001, 001. Uh, he was he, he had this license to kill, and the book of Acts tells of how he would uh, he would sort of uh, stand over the stoning of one of the followers and another of the followers. Until one day, he had this Damascus Road experience. And on the road, traveling to Damascus, he is struck blind and stopped in his tracks. And he hears this voice that he believes and we believe to be the voice of the risen Savior Jesus, who tells him, stop it. Go to the next place and wait, await further instructions. And he does, and, and what becomes of Paul, of, of Saul, is this transformation that literally his name is changed and his whole trajectory is changed and he begins to be now not against those who are of Jesus but for those who are with Jesus. He, uh, he, he, he makes a visit down to Jerusalem. He says at one point, I met only with Peter and no one else except, of course, one other person and he names them because uh, so much of his writings was stream of consciousness. And then he begins to go and make what would become known as Paul's missionary journeys. On his second missionary journey, and we've got a map here, 
Uh, on his second missionary journey, Paul leaves from his second visit in Jerusalem, down here in the bottom right corner. I, uh, I made a joke of this earlier. Um, if, uh, if this seems fuzzy to you, a $13,000 check in the plate this morning can, uh, can change this. The, uh, the next upgrade to projectors... So, uh, and, and I, there's like a hundred of you in this morning that could write that kind of check. So, um, uh, I'm joking, by the way. Um, but it is $13,000 to upgrade the projectors to the next level that give us a little better clarity. You find in the corner here, this uh, uh, Jerusalem, and the arrow begins what is Paul's second missionary journey, traveling north through Antioch and Tarsus, which was his home, through Derby, Lystra, again through another uh, Antioch, and then he finds himself... And Troas, and, and it, says, uh, it says this, this is the backstory to, to the church that's founded in, in Philippi. It says in Acts chapter 16, I'll just read it real quick. We sailed from Troas, which you see on the map, straight for Samothrace, which is the island there in the Aegean Sea. And then, the, and then came to Neapolis the following day. From there we went to Philippi a city of Macedonia's first district in a Roman colony. We stayed in that city several days. Several days. Several days. He finds himself in Philippi. He goes uh, looking for a church. There is no church because the, the, literally the Christian movement hasn't made it that far out of Jerusalem. These are, the, these are the infant days. It's probably the year 49 when he leaves Jerusalem on his second missionary journey. It might have taken him a year to get around this part of the Mediterranean Sea, so it might be the year 50. It could be 51 for all we know. Jesus Christ uh, has been proclaimed in, 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 in one little village to another village, and he finds himself at Philippi for the first time talking about Jesus, but he can find no one there that are Christians. But he does find a group of ladies, a group of women, down on the riverbanks who are worshiping the one true God. And he begins to tell the story of how Jesus Christ is, is the very substance of God and is the Son of God. And they begin to form a little church. It says he was in Philippi for a few days after he begins to form this church with, uh, with, with Lydia. It says that, uh, that he then... Uh, uh, cast out a demon from one of the servants of a prominent business person who took offense at this and had him thrown in jail and he had to escape before he was probably killed there in Philippi. This was his first visit to the church. What's fascinating, but you've heard it now said for the last two weeks, is that Paul loved the church in Philippi. Despite the fact that their neighbors tried to have him killed on his first visit, he loved the church in Philippi. I mean, this is, this is what I told you two weeks ago. This is what Joyce talked about last week as we've been preaching through this. Is there's this deep affection between Paul and this, and this, and this fledgling young church. This letter was probably written in the year 62. So what we have is now 12 years after the founding of the church, Paul writing a letter back. And what prompts the letter is that the church, with Paul absent in body, is very concerned about his body. Because they had gotten word that it was not well with Paul. Which we'll read more about in this morning's passage. So, so, so I set all this up to say that that they would have sent messengers 
from Philippi over to Rome where Paul was under house arrest. Twelve years after the church has started and their question is, how is it with you? How is it with you, Paul? We've heard that it's not well. How are you doing? And, And I'd like you to join with me as we read through the Bible to hear what Paul's response is to this question about his own physical well-being. We find ourselves this morning, if you turn in your Bibles or turn on your apps to, uh, to Philippians 1, I'll pick up in verse 12 and we'll read all the way this morning through verse 26. This is his response. This is his answer to the question, how is it with your body? Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel. The whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else knows that I'm in prison for Christ. Most of the brothers and sisters have had more confidence through the Lord to speak the word boldly and bravely because of my jail time. Now, now, hear me. They're asking a question, and he seems to not be answering it, doesn't he? Again, the question is, Paul, how is it with your body? We heard that you've been beaten. Paul, how is it with your body? We've heard that you've been imprisoned. Paul, how is it with your body? We've heard that, 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 that the damage that you have suffered, that the beatings that you have suffered are catching up with you. We're concerned about you. How is it with your body? And his response is, let me tell you about work. Here's what he says. Let, let, me tell you, let me tell you about the progress, about the advances that we've made in this movement. I mean, if you're the people of Philippi, this is a peculiar and perplexing response. I want to know how it is with you, but you want to tell me how it is with the gospel? They, they want to hear, they want to hear about 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 the suffering, and they want to have some hope in all of that. But instead, he tells them that the gospel has been advanced. This is a fascinating place, but it it begins to reveal to us the advances that God has made in Paul's life. It picks up and, and goes further. Verse 15. Now, Some certainly preach Christ with jealous and competitive motives, but others preach with good motives. They are motivated by love because they know that I'm put here to give a defense of the gospel. The others, this first group, they preach Christ because of their selfish ambition. They are insincere, hoping to cause me more pain while I'm in prison. Paul is going back and forth describing that because of his infirmities, because of his ailments, because of the suffering and the beating, he was already at this point, and the list goes on, he was already at this point um, uh, in prison multiple times. He was already shipwrecked. He was already tortured. He was already whipped. He was already beaten. I mean, he, he was flogged. But because of all of this, there are those who are now taking advantage of his situation to, get, to begin to preface the way they preach with, I know that you really put your stock in Paul, but let me tell you my version of things. Paul's not here anymore. 
and they begin to seem to, to try to want to try wanna horn in on what Paul had developed in churches. I mean, he, he's describing the good guys with their good motives and contrasting them with the bad guys and their bad motives. He says that there are people who are out there preaching with jealousy and competition as their motive. And so, needless to say, the church in Philippi wants to know what Paul thinks about this. In verse 18, his response is, since Christ is proclaimed in every possible way, whether from dishonest or true motives, I'm glad, and I'll continue to be glad. Paul, what are you talking about? Imagine, imagine the room filled in Philippi, having heard word that, that, that Paul had written a letter in his own hand, and, and it had made its way this, it made, it's made its way all the way from, from Rome to Philippi to be read this day in worship. Imagine the crowd that, that piles in to hear what's happening in Paul's life. And first, he wants to talk about work and the gospel. And second, he wants to, to say that he's glad. He's glad about those who are preaching with the wrong motives? I don't know what a Scott Hagen would do if he was in the room that day. You see, because I'd have a hard time with that. Because I've been known to be jealous. And I've been known to be competitive. I know no one in the room has ever operated out of jealousy. I know no one in the room has ever, has ever uh, made choices ba- based on competition. I know nobody in the room has ever gotten territorial. I know no one in the room has ever looked at someone else's success or someone else's progress or advancement and said, yeah, but they got at it with the bad motives. I know all of you are the most pure of heart, but I'm talking about me now. If I'd have been in the room... I've been perplexed by Paul's words here. He seems to say that that what matters more than motives is that Jesus Christ is proclaimed. You see, I think I think Paul is getting to a place in his own life where it's less about who's getting the credit. As long as, as long as the mission is accomplished. I know I said this a month ago, so you can, you can just uh, charge me with repeating myself. But the older I get, and the more I learn, and the more, how do I say, the more I know, the more I'm convinced of all that I don't know. I think this is where Paul is at this point. 
Paul's writing to say, I might have differences in their methodology. I might even, I might even be convinced that their motives are wrong. But I put all of my personal opinions aside. If the mission of Christ is being accomplished, he says in verse 19, see, I'm glad, he actually repeats himself. Some translations say, I rejoice. I'm glad because, and now, and now we get, we really get the evidence of this Paul knowing and not knowing. He says, I'm glad because I know. And if you want to circle that in your head, circle that. If you've got a pen, you can, uh, you, can, you can write in your Bibles. I give you permission. Uh, I'm glad because I know that this will result in my release through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, he, he says in the next verse, It is my expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything. Now, his hope here seems to be like one degree less than he knows, but it's still on the positive end of things. So he opens with, I know, then he says, I hope, and then he follows it up in the next verse. Rather, I hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body, now as always, whether I live or die. Because for me, living serves Christ, and dying is even better. If I continue to live in this world, I get results from my work. But here, now here we are again. He opens with saying, I know, but now he says, I don't know. What I prefer, I'm torn between the two because I want to leave this life and be with Christ, which is far better. He says, I know and I don't know. He says, I'm certain, but I'm not sure. He says, I want it to be, but right now all the best I can say about it is I hope that it'll happen. He is, he, he's got his mind made up and he's completely indecisive. What's going on with Paul, the church would have thought? What is going on with Paul? Have, have the years caught up with him? How, how bad off is it? I think it's none of these things. He says in verse 24, However, the sentence to say, let, let, let me address all the things that I've just told you. My uncertainty, my indecisiveness, uh, this, this, this brief recount and mention of, of the physical pain that others have caused me. However, it's more important for me to stay in this world for your sake. I'm sure of this. I will stay alive and remain with all of you to help your progress and the joy of your faith and to increase your pride in Christ Jesus through my presence when I visit you again. This this is the word of God for we the people of God and we say together, thanks be to God. We've, uh, we've now found ourselves into the body of Paul's letter and what do we do with all that we've heard? What, what, what do you do with someone who says I know and now I don't know? What do you do with someone who says I'd rather, I'd rather 
be dead and with Christ than to stay. Except that when I stay, the ministry continues and my presence with you could be an encouragement. What do you do with one who, who's, who's so far mature and advanced more than I am that he's put jealousy and a competitive spirit in its place? Or maybe even left it behind altogether. What do you do with this? The fascinating thing that the commentaries point out is that in this little block, all taken together, in this little block, the first verse, verse 12, uses the word advance. And that the last verse, verse 26, refers to the progress and in the increase. Paul is now so mature He has matured so much. He would tell you that there's still more to go. He's matured so much that his body, that his agenda, that that his desires are now second place to the one thing that matters the most. For the world, it's the advancement of the gospel. And for this church, he cares about. It's that each person there would progress and increase. For for Paul, for Paul, it's all about the people growing. The people would have thought of Paul as their spiritual father. The one who had poured out his life and put his life on display for them. And this spiritual father's prayer and desire for this people, like like children in the faith, is that they would progress and they would grow up and they would increase. What does the world need more of? The world needs more Christians who are growing and progressing and increasing in the very grace and peace that's offered to us. Let's pray. God, you provide and your desire for us is that we would open ourselves to what you offer. You give us what we need. Lord, open our hearts to your love. Help to grow us that by our embrace and acceptance of your love for us, that our witness might advance the gospel out into the world. The high calling you have placed on each of us is that we would be loved by you and go into the world loving 
with your son Jesus Christ as our priority. Give us the courage and the strength to allow this to happen. We pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.